0: Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, and reading verses 1 and 2, where we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day day and night. I have a friend who was telling me that uh, when he and his siblings were very young, his mother gave each of them a psalm, and it was a psalm that she encouraged them to think about and to take away with them uh, through all the experiences of life, and 35 years on, he still speaks about this psalm that his mother gave him. Well today I had hoped to give Mark a psalm so that whenever he would read psalm one or sing psalm one he would be able to say that's my psalm but in the providence of God that is not to be the case but I do hope that as we study this psalm together that we would be able to see a valuable word a precious word for each and every one of us and we're going to look at it under three headings the direction then the description, and finally the destination. The direction, the description, and the destination. First we have the direction. Look at verses 1 and 2 where the psalmist highlights what directs the life of a Christian. What directs the life of a Christian? The psalmist starts by speaking about the man who is blessed at the beginning of verse 1. We read, blessed is the man. That word blessed means happy. And the happiness that the psalmist is speaking about is the happiness that comes from being in a right relationship with God. It's the happiness that comes from knowing that you are under the smile of God. The happiness that comes from knowing that you are living in fellowship with God. The happiness that comes from knowing that the maker of heaven and earth is for you. He is committed to you. He has freed you, removed all condemnation from you. And the psalmist continues by speaking about where the blessed man doesn't get his direction from in the second half of verse 1. We read, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist says that the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked are those who are separated from God. The wicked are those who are hostile to God. And the blessed man doesn't listen to the advice, he doesn't listen to the counsel that is coming from the wicked. The psalmist goes on and says that the blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Not only does he refuse to listen to what the wicked are saying, what the wicked are counselling him with, what the wicked are advising him with, he also refuses to behave In the way that the wicked are behaving. The blessed man is a man who stands out and he stands out because of where he doesn't stand. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And the psalmist goes further and says that the blessed man doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffers, the mockers, are those who have no regard for the Lord, no recognition of the Lord, no reverence for the Lord, no respect for the Lord. It's all a joke to them. And the blessed man refuses to sit with them. He refuses to identify himself with them. In short, the blessed man refuses to believe what unbelievers are telling him. He refuses to behave in the way that they are behaving and he refuses to be seen as belonging to the company that they are belonging to. Having spoken about where the blessed man doesn't get his direction from, the psalmist speaks about where he gets his direction from in verse 2. We read, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist says that the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is a reference to the Lord's revelation, a reference to the Lord's word. And the blessed man delights in that word. As Ray Ortland says, the blessed man is emotionally alive to the word of God. We can read the word of God at times, but sometimes we are not emotionally alive to that word. But the blessed man delights in the word. And the psalmist goes on and says that the blessed man doesn't simply delight in the law of the Lord, he also meditates on it day and night. That word meditate means to mutter to yourself, to murmur to yourself, to, to quietly talk to yourself. You know that kind of, I, I see some people when they're reading and there are some people who can read in their heads. I find it hard to read in my head. I I mutter the words quietly to myself. that's what this blessed man is doing. As he takes out God's word, he quietly talks it over to himself. It conveys the idea of careful, diligent attention to the Lord and his word. And the blessed man does this day and night. It is a continual practice or way of life for him. So, as we consider these verses, we are shown the two contrasting places that a person can get direction from. The psalmist speaks about direction from the world and direction from the Word. The blessed man is the one who receives direction from the Word of God. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, he is driven and he is directed by the word of God. And that is important for us to hear and to take on board today. We live in a world of noise. A world where there are so many competing voices. Voices telling us what to believe. Voices telling us how to behave. Voices telling us what groups we should aim to belong to. So many voices that are trying to drive and direct us through life. And over and against all these other voices, the Lord comes to us with his word and he says, this is the way. Walk in it. The Lord comes to us and he says, let my word direct your life. Let my word direct you through life. And you know that is the calling on each and every one of you who are parents in this congregation. Your calling is to take your children to the Word of God and to say to them, this is the way. Walk in it. Let this Word drive you through life. Let this Word direct you through life. And you know, that doesn't stop when your children hit 10. And it doesn't stop when your children hit 15. 15. If you're like my parents, you will still be saying that to your children at 35 and 33 and 29. This is the word of God. Walk in it. (coughs) I was listening to a sermon by Ray Ortlund where he spoke about what his parents presented to him when he was 17. And they presented him with a Bible. And his father had written in that Bible, bud. He's American, so they can say these kind of words. Bud. Nothing could be greater than to have a son, a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book to be our greatest treasure. We give it to you, and doing so can give nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible, and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. What an exhortation for a parent to give to their son at the age of 17. So as we think about this, I simply want to ask the question, where are we going to for direction in life? What is driving us through life? Is it the Lord and his word, or is it the world? And to those of you who are parents, where are you pointing your children or maybe your grandchildren to for direction in life? Is it to the Lord and his word, or is it to the world? And maybe if I could be controversial, and I'll say this, I'll be controversial for a minute, I would go so far as to say, if we are not actively pointing people to the word of God, we are passively pointing them to the world. I'll say that again. If we are not actively pointing people to the word of God, then we are passively pointing them to the world. Well, there's the direction. We move second to the description, verses 3 and 4. And here the psalmist presents us with a description of what a Christian looks like, a description of what a Christian looks like. The psalmist starts by giving a description of the blessed man in verse 3. We read, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The psalmist speaks here about the productivity of the blessed man. Beginning of verse 3, he is, he is like a tree that has been planted by streams of water. He is planted and rooted in the Lord and his word. And to be rooted in the Lord and his word is to be rooted in a nourishing place. Like a tree that has been planted by streams of water. And because he has been planted in such a place, he is productive. He is full of life. He is like a tree that bears fruit. He is like a tree whose leaf doesn't wither, doesn't fade, doesn't decay. There is a vibrancy, there is a vitality in that blessed man who is planted in the Lord and his word. And the psalmist also speaks about the prosperity of the blessed man. Look again at verse 3. In all that he does, he prospers. He lives a full life, a spiritually enriched life. Even when the storms come, he, he is still prospering spiritually because he's got good roots. But the psalmist moves on to give a description of the unbelieving man. Look at verse 4. We did the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Up until now, the psalmist has been speaking in verses 1 to 4 about the blessed man. The blessed man is a man whose life is driven and directed by the Lord and his word. The blessed man is a man whose life is marked by spiritual productivity, spiritual prosperity, vibrancy, vitality. And now the psalmist draws our attention to the wicked. The wicked are those who have no place for the Lord and his word in their lives. The wicked are those who will not allow the Lord and his word to drive and direct them through life. And because of this, the psalmist is unable to speak about them being like a planted, and productive tree. Instead, they have no real root. Instead, the psalmist describes them as being like chaff, that the wind drives away, that the wind blows away. In the Old Testament, chaff was that loose outer covering on various grains. It was inedible. There was no use for anything. It would simply be blown away by the wind. And that is how the the psalmist is describing those who have no room in their lives for the Lord and his word. He says they'll just be blown away in contrast to the tree that stands and is productive. Well, as we consider these verses, friends, we are being given two contrasting descriptions of a blessed man and an unbelieving man. The psalmist does this by using the imagery of a tree and a piece of chaff. The blessed man is rooted in the Lord and his word, and it's like a productive tree that has been planted by the stream. The unbelieving man, the psalmist says, is not so. He is like chaff that the, that the wind drives away. And again, that is so important for us to hear and to take on board today. A Christian isn't simply a nice person, a good person a moral person, a decent person. That is not what a Christian is. I know plenty nice people, good people, decent people, moral people who aren't Christians. In fact, some of them are nicer than a lot of Christians, And, and you know that yourselves. A Christian was someone who has been planted, rooted in the living Lord and his living word. A Christian is someone who has been united to Jesus, connected to Jesus by faith. A Christian is someone who has a whole new life where they are living in Christ and where Christ is living in them by his spirit. And because of this, their lives are marked by spiritual productivity and prosperity, vibrancy and vitality, fruit. In his commentary on the psalm, Steve Lawson writes... Many people today point to a mystical feeling or emotional experience for the validity of their conversion. But we must look for the fruit of a changed life. The authenticity and validity of a person's faith is proven by the spiritual fruit they produce. Fruit is the test of salvation. That includes personal holiness, Christ-like character, good works, ministry, stewardship, praising God. In other words... Where there is fruit, a connection to the living Lord and his living word, there will be fruit. And where there is no root, where there is no connection to the living Lord and his living word, there will be no fruit. It's a very simple equation. No fruit, no root, no fruit. But where there is fruit, there will be a root. And isn't that our... Prayerful longing for the children in our congregation. We long to see them planted, rooted in Christ and His Word. And we want to see them planted and rooted in Christ and His Word from an early age and bearing fruit that points to the fact that they have been planted and rooted in Christ and His Word. That is our burden. I know that's Donald's burden for the Sunday school, but I'm sure that's our burden as a congregation. For our young people, but also those who are not so young. So as we think about this, I want to ask, which of these two verses best describes you? Which of these two verses best describes you? Are you like a tree that has been planted in Christ and his word? Showing some evidence of spiritual vibrancy, spiritual vitality, spiritual fruit? Or are you... Like a bit of chaff that the wind could easily drive away with no root and no fruit. Well, third and finally, we move to the destination, verses 5 and 6. Here the psalmist focuses on the final destination of the Christian. The psalmist speaks about the final destination, first of the unbelieving man, in verses 5 and 6. We read, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalmist claims that the unbelieving man will not stand in the judgment, beginning of verse 5. The Old Testament often speaks about this final day, the day of the Lord. It'll be a day of judgment, a day when the Lord is going to vindicate his people, but will also pour out wrath on his enemies, those who are not his people. And the psalmist says that the unbelieving man will not stand in the judgment. He might have been very firm and stable in his convictions in this life, but he will not be able to stand on the day of judgment. His legs will give way. And the psalmist continues by claiming that the unbelieving man will not sit in the congregation of the righteous. Look again at verse 5. They once laughed at those who gathered to worship the Lord. They once refused to be found near a church. They wouldn't go into a church for a wake. They wouldn't go into a church for a funeral. You know these people. I know these people. They won't be found near a church. They won't want to go anywhere near a Christian, not because of fear of COVID, but fear of Purim. You know that. Scared that somehow they might get converted and they don't want to be part of that. But on the day of judgment, they will be willing to give anything and everything to sit in the congregation of the righteous, the very people whom they once mocked and wouldn't want to go near. But there'll be no place for them. And the psalmist claims that they'll perish. Look at the very end of verse 6. That's the final outcome. No second chance. No reprieve. Only doom. Only destruction. But having spoken about the final destination of the unbelieving man, the psalmist speaks about the final destination of the blessed man. Look again at verse 6. We read, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The psalmist claims that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word knows refers to more than an intellectual knowledge. It refers to subjective knowledge, personal knowledge, intimate knowledge. The Lord doesn't simply know about the righteous. He knows the righteous. He doesn't simply know about the blessed man. He knows the blessed man. He cares about him. He looks out for him. He understands him. And the Lord knows this righteous man, this blessed man, in the present and on into the future. Dale Ralph Davis has a story about a woman named Ruth Clark. She was an older woman. She'd been knocked down by a speeding horse and cart. And the accident brought on a more serious illness, so that she was now in her last days. Someone visited her and asked if she had any doubts about her hope in Christ. Ruth simply confessed, Oh no, none. He that has loved me all my life through will not forsake me now. I have no rapturous feelings, but I have no doubts, no fears. And Davis concludes by writing, The God who cares about every step his righteous servant takes will surely take care for her when the next step is into the judgment. And that is the hope the psalmist is clinging on to. A God who will know his people in this life, but also in the life to come. A God who will not say to his people when they come into his judgment hall, depart from me. I never knew you. And so as we consider these verses, we've been shown two contrasting destinations of the blessed man and the unbelieving man, the converted and the unconverted. The psalmist speaks about the way of the righteous and he speaks about the way of the wicked. The wicked will not stand at the judgment, neither will they sit in the congregation of the righteous, instead they'll perish, they will be destroyed. Meanwhile, the righteous will experience the magnificence, the wonder, the glory of being known by the Lord, not only in this life, but when they pass from this life on into the next. And again, friends, that is an important lesson for us to hear and to take on board today. Psalm 1 opens the book of Psalms. It opens this great God-inspired songbook. It opens this great manual of praise. And it does so by reminding all who read this psalm and all who sing these psalms of some important truths. It reminds us that there is nothing as important as being rooted in the living Lord and his living word. It reminds us that there is nothing as important as being found in the congregation of the righteous. It reminds us that there is nothing as important as being ready for the final day, judgment day. That is what it all ultimately boils down to, eternity. And where you and I, friends, are going to spend eternity. This isn't about a lifestyle choice. Christianity is not a lifestyle choice. If it was a lifestyle choice, it would be quite a miserable lifestyle choice for some. But it's not a lifestyle choice. It is the choice between a way of life and a way of death. These, yes, they are solemn matters, they are serious matters, but they are matters that Jesus himself addressed. The Jesus who came into this world to save and secure a people, that they might be with him forever and ever. A Jesus who came into this world so that his people might stand at the judgment, that they might sit in the congregation of the righteous, that they might not perish. And that is the calling on every single parent in this congregation. Your calling is to prepare your children for that day. Your calling is to encourage your children to be ready for the day of reckoning. Now I'm not saying you can convert them. But you can encourage them to be ready. To be prepared. I've known some of the parents in this congregation for over seven years now. I was actually saying that to Anne Chris the other day, that, you know, I've been watching Lisa's Megan growing up, and I've seen her go from P1 now into first year, and she's gone from being up to my knee to more or less towering over me. I know you parents, I know a lot of you parents very well, and I know that you love your children, and I know that you want what is best for your children. And the best thing that you could possibly do for your child isn't to give them the latest phone. It isn't to take them on the most lavish and expensive holiday. And it isn't to give them long lies when they want to avoid church on Sunday mornings and evenings. The best thing that you can possibly do for your children is to encourage them to be prepared for eternity. Encourage them to be rooted and planted in the living Lord and His living word so that they will stand in the judgment, sit in the congregation of the righteous, and never perish. So, as we think about this, I want to ask Are you giving much thought to your final destination? Are you looking beyond this life to the life to come? And are you encouraging others, your friends, your family, your children, to look to their final destination, life beyond this life, life in the world to come?